All right, everybody, welcome back to Apex Mind. Adam with you here as always. And on this week's episode, I am happy to welcome to the show, Josh Remorowski. Josh, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Well, Josh, um, for anyone that's not familiar with you, can you give a brief background of, uh, you know, really what you've done in learning and development and what you do today? Yeah, um, I started my, my career in learning and development probably before corporate America. I would say like I was a high school baseball coach at, at one point in my life. And that's really a, where I learned how to, to teach and guide and, and deal through uh, challenging situations because mm-hmm. young, young, young kids don't like to listen um, very much. And uh, when you're teaching them how to do something as difficult as, as baseball, that's all about failure, um, really helps you kind of learn uh, what works and what doesn't. And, and that's really where I found my, I think my passion for merging, um, you know, learning performance and overall developing the human being uh, at a really young age. And so uh, once I got into corporate America, like official desk type job, um, I had a bunch of other stuff. I worked for Verizon where I was a senior trainer. Um, I was a senior manager at one point. I was also a consultant um, where I was doing things like architecting leadership Academy, uh, which was a big, a big project uh, for Verizon while I was there. And then I came to, to Walmart uh, into the dot-com space where they asked me to work and build and and scale their learning and development uh, department. So I did that implementing uh, a lot of new hire programs, structure, intake processes, what does actual good L&D, you know, look like? Uh, really the fundamentals, most companies fail at the fundamentals and then they want to do all this fancy crap. And then from there, I, I grew my organization pretty significantly. Um, my team was in uh, 11 different countries uh, and I finished as a director of learning and development. And then I moved into the director of change management, communication and strategy. Uh, less learning, but more leadership enablement. And then now I've, I've taken a job where I'm currently the senior director of learning and, and leadership experience at a company called Fortiv that um, deals with software and industrial electrical uh, manufacturing. And they're a really cool company that has 20 operating companies that they own. And they do a lot of stuff with continuous improvement. Wow, that's a very extensive and diverse background. Um, Before I jump into the professional stuff, I I actually didn't know about you that you had done the baseball coaching. So um, what drove you to go into that role, you know, earlier before you go went into the learning on a professional level? Uh, Yeah. So I played division one baseball. Um, I also played division two baseball before I transferred to play at a school called Liberty university. Um, I got injured and what better thing to do when you're injured than start coaching baseball. So I coached our, uh, it's called Liberty Christian Academy. And for me, I just thought it was a great way to use the things I've learned through life. And also from the lessons I learned from really bad coaches that I had that treated you like trash, uh, didn't really know how to connect with people and were, were more focused on their own ego and what they thought was good versus like learning more deeply about, uh, the individual to, you know, help them develop as a person so that they can develop, you know, as a player. And I, I take that into what I do into my career. And so I really wanted to see how I could apply that at different levels. I, I coached sixth and eighth graders. I've coached, you know, t- 
ninth uh, through 12th graders. Um, and they're both very different. And then I used to do a lot of private baseball lessons at that time, but that's really what got me into it was being injured. And I just think, you know, anytime there's a roadblock or, or thing in life that doesn't have to be like your stopping point, it's probably telling you there's something else you need to do or, or go. And what can you learn from that? So, uh, that's how I got there. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be a baseball coach is really what I thought I was going to do with my career. Um, that is not, not the case. Yeah. You know, I, I like the pivot. Um, but, but I also like that one thing you said there was that you had recognized bad coaching and, and that's what drove you to want to do it better. Um, you know, that I have a very similar story. I, I felt that way in high school where I didn't feel supported by my teachers and I kind of fell out of education as, and as an adult, I started seeing opportunities to improve that. And that's something, you know, we've known each other for a long time. And I've always known that about you, that you, you want to, um, I even heard you mention learning performance, developing humans, you know, it's always focused on doing, doing the best and helping other people to do their best. And, um, what, what did you take from that time you, you mentioned that you brought that into your professional career. So that time teaching younger people baseball, what'd you bring from that into the professional um, teaching world? Yeah, I think a lot of it is team first mentality. Some people will say we, not me. Um, the thing that I typically communicate to my team or the teams that I've led specifically recently is faster alone, but further together. And really it's like, yes, you can, you can do great performance or maybe you're a great individual, you know, coach or, or player, but it doesn't matter how good of a coach is if no one's following you. Um, and so really I, I learned through that, that faster alone further, further together is kind of a, how can I bring people together? How can I put their development and uh, well-being in a lot of cases as a leader uh, above my, above my own and, you know, John Maxwell, who's one of my favorite leadership people to, to listen to, talks about, you know, a good leader gets people to believe in them. A great leader gets people to believe in themselves. And I fully believe that. And so really learning that with kids and seeing when they actually believe in themselves, whether it's a sixth grader or a 12th grader that doesn't know when they want to be when they grow up and their parents think they should, which is also ridiculous. Um, truly believes in themselves, they can untap capabilities that they didn't imagine was possible. And I've brought that into to the corporate world, how I approach my teams and how I lead people. I focus on how can I get people to believe in their capabilities because most of the time they're their biggest blocker to their success. And if they just learn to get out of their own way, they have untapped potential that will allow our team to be better, that'll allow my job to be easier and will allow them to impact the organization in a way that they didn't even realize. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something I say a lot is help people to be the best at whatever it is that they do. And it sounds like you're helping them to unlock that, that confidence and that ability. Um, one of the thing that you mentioned there that I want to touch on is you said that when you were at Walmart, you know, obviously the biggest company in, in the U S uh, you supported people in 11 different countries and, I know I've, I've supported people all over the world too. And, and it's sometimes a challenge to, you know, cross the cultural barriers and to uh, make sure that you're addressing people properly, you know, in different areas of the world. So what did you take from that experience as far as, um, you know, driving performance to people in different cultures? Yeah, I think the big thing is not bringing your old operating framework to the table. So 
my operating framework my entire life is I speak English. It's my first language. It's what I know. So when I speak to you, it makes sense to me. But that is not the case for other people when you start going into these other countries where English is their second language, sometimes their third language, depending on uh, how multilingual they are. So for me, if I can get rid of that old operating framework and approach it from what do these individuals actually need to be the, the most successful that they can be, it really allows you to target and tailor your content, I think, overall, just a lot better. So you might realize that certain groups need empathy training and other groups don't because certain countries might have more empathy and other countries uh, might not. And that could just be a cultural thing. Um, if you don't start paying attention, though, you'll, you'll never know and you'll give more empathy training to people that already probably give too much empathy and you're going to wear out maybe uh, a customer or maybe you're going to teach a poor, you know, um, leadership skills, whatever it is. And then also when you look at support content, whether it's support content for leaders, frontline workers, whoever, is it even at the right reading level, you know, for someone that doesn't speak your language? Because yet again, for you and I, I might be fine if it's at an MBA level or a high school level or, or whatever, but someone else that might not read at that level, that doesn't mean they're not smart. It doesn't mean they're, they're not capable. It just means if we want them to do things as fast as we say we want them to do, are we even providing it in a manner to which they can do that? And is what the accountability level we're holding them to, you know, real. So really that changed my whole kind of scope of how I approach things to how can you simplify learning? How can you simplify support down to, you know, the lowest common denominator and, and give it to people in an easy consumable way, um, no matter what walk of life. And then if you need to make those cust you know, those custom or curated changes, do it, but you have to know enough about the people and care enough about the people in your organization that they are different than you to, to make those changes work. Yeah. That, that last thing you said there about simplifying, I, I think unfortunately too much in the learning space, uh, people overcomplicate things. And, um, I, not to diminish anyone who's got more of an academic background that comes into the learning space, but I think sometimes we focus too much on, on models and studies and, and, you know, making these proprietary things. And, and a lot of times people just need help doing something very simple. Um, even outside of the, you know, outside of the U S cultures, even people in the U S sometimes just need things to be done simply. Um, and, and that's very true. One thing I noticed when I was working with folks outside the U S is, uh, got to be really careful about your idioms and analogies too, because um, we use them so much and maybe we don't even realize that they don't make sense to, to folks outside the States. hundred uh, percent. Um, what, what would you say, um, you know, you, you've moved into a lot of roles in your career where you've assumed more and more responsibility. You say most recently you've, you've taken on a senior director role. So um, what would be the top things you've attributed towards that, that movement and, taking on roles with more and more responsibility? Yeah, I think my, my focus has always been impact and influence. So like, if you want your career to grow, then you need to do things that make an impact and you need to find ways to, to influence an organization. And too often people are waiting for someone else to come with a, you know, a plate to the table, set it in front of them and say, here you go. Here you go, kid go, go to town, yeah. all, all the feasts of the world's in front of you. But 
we need to be willing to have actual aim in what we do and go on a hunt, right? So when you think about uh, like my journey, it happened because I had extreme ownership outside of my learning and development responsibilities, uh, solving problems that weren't mine, being curious and not being afraid to learn new things and not just thinking like, because I went through some certification that I, that I know enough and really trying to, to push the status quo. And what I found through that is a lot of people are just like waiting for someone else to do the work for them. And if you're just end up being the person that does the work and can empower it, your team to have the belief that they can also do that work, you start getting a lot of stuff done that people say can't get done. And I just find that then compounds and continues to compound into to who you are. And everyone wants to be with the leader that gets a lot of stuff done and helps them grow and develop. And so that's really helped me along my career is just doing that and building my own brand through doing that. And then it allows other people and other leaders to entrust me to go do something else. Right. So when I went, you know, to Walmart and started building my career there and started, you know, doing things outside of my scope of responsibility and helping them solve business problems that maybe they were struggling with that entrusted them that when I went for a role that was outside of my typical scope of support and career trajectory to give it to me because they trusted I would do the things that, that were required. I would be thoughtful. I would be curious and I would, I would do it at a very high you know, level. So I think that's really what it is, is focus on those areas you can make impact and influence, be curious, and quite honestly, like, just don't worry about what your job description is, um, you know, because that's, in my, you know, in my opinion, if, if that's what you're, you're focused on, then forget career growth, because you're, you're already limiting yourself and putting yourself, you know, behind other people that aren't, that aren't worried about that. They aren't, aren't worried about having permission to, to do something awesome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of folks who um, might be in a training role or an instructional designer role, if they only deliver training or they only design courses, they're never going to move out of that role. And I'm sure you and I both know a lot of people who will stay in those types of roles for decades because they don't branch out. They don't take on those, those responsibilities outside of their job roles. And frankly, they're not really doing much to impact the bottom line of the business. They're just delivering courses and courses are a part of the solution, but they're certainly not the entire solution, or at least very rarely are they the entire solution. But that's great advice. Um, shifting that to the other side. So since you've been a leader taking on more responsibility, that means you've also been a leader with more and more people reporting to you. Um, something that seems unfortunate about the L&D space is a lot of companies don't have dedicated development paths for people in their L&D orgs. Um, it's, it's a lot of times it's that person's responsibility to figure it out. And you sound like someone who's done that yourself. But what have you done to help the people that report to you to develop and, and uh, you know, move up in their careers? Did I lose you? Uh, I'm still here. Can you hear me? I can. So okay. you're saying a lot of people uh, don't get development pathways in their L&D orgs? Yep. Yep. Um, 
Yeah. So just what have you done to develop the people that report to you in their careers? Yeah. So it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, really, I've focused on developing the person, not, not the position because your L and D position today is not going to be what an L and D position is five years from now or 10 years from now. It might not even be a position at all. Right. So for me, it goes back to how do you get people to believe in themselves? How do you understand what things are holding them back? And what I've really found out through doing that is, you know, a lot of people carry baggage from their personal life into their work life and you can take the horse to water, but it doesn't mean they're going to drink. And if you can really help them get through the, whether it's trauma or belief system victimization where it's everyone else's fault and they have no ownership and aren't able to confront um, the actual truth that, you know, they need to do some of the work and it's not always the leader's job, right? The, the leader can show you the way, but you still have to walk the path. Um, I found that to be the most uh, rewarding thing for helping people go to the next step in their career because they, they start understanding they need to develop themselves personally and professionally. Um, and then the skill piece becomes a lot easier because when you're actively looking inward versus looking outward saying, you know, Adam need, you know, if Adam would just uh, get me this tool or if Adam would just do that and it's always, you know, the company or the leader that's not doing enough, but me saying like, what, what am I even learning at all? Right. Oh, I'm watching Netflix. Oh, I'm, you know, playing video games, but um, am I actually learning anything meaningful about who I am, what makes me the way I am, and what can allow me to untap, yet again, untap potential that, that I haven't even realized? I've just found that to be the most rewarding. And then you have more meaningful conversations around performance because they start to see, oh, I'm a people pleaser in my, per you know, in my uh, personal life. And that's why I really struggle with saying no at work. And because I struggle saying no at work, I miss deadlines all the time. And because I miss deadlines all the time, I, I think it's my you know, org organization's fault because they give me too much work, but it's really not my organization's fault. It's because I, I have the incapability, I'm incapable of saying no because I'm a people pleaser and I've been that way my entire life. And so I really try to just not focus on whoever that person is at work, but who they are in, in life. Yeah, that's great. And so you touched on two different things there. One would be the ownership that that person has to have, you know, no, no leader in the world could make somebody, um, you know, develop, they have to take that on themselves. But then I, I like that you focus on the, the people connection, because, you know, it seems like these days, a lot of us tend to be more disconnected than in the past, even though we have so many technology options to connect with others. Um, people have less community, and they have less purpose. And I think a good leader helps people to realize that. So th that's great that you shared that. Um, when you talk about like developing, I know you mentioned some management books. Do you have any go-to places for L&D development to learn about current trends or um, the, the things that help you to drive things at, at the business? Yeah, so um, obviously there's a lot of L&D trends, uh, a lot of things that people throw out, you know, game, gamification has been one that's been thrown out for like the last 10 years, I feel like. Um, but for me, I am just a person that likes to, to read books. So, and, or listen to books while I run and, and listen to podcasts. So 
um, I've read a lot of stuff on like ATD, like uh, with a membership through them. So they have a lot of articles and white papers um, that show a lot of the, the trends and, and, and studies around what organizations are doing or are saying are roadblockers. And then for me, more than anything, I don't even try to focus on what tools I try to focus on what's actually happening with more like from a social psychology standpoint um, of human beings, because, because right now you have this, this picture and it's everything, you know, in front of your, your, this panoramic view um, out of your eyeballs, there's things taking those pieces of attention, right? So there's your Instagram taking slices of your attention. There's your Netflix taking slices of your attention. There's, your kids, there's your, your pets, there's your, your hobbies, there's, you like to go hiking. So where's work, um, you know, fall, fall into that. And it's, how do you maximize that attention for people, um, you know, out at work, because now with them working at home, that sliver, I think has got even smaller to keep people, you know, engaged in whatever you're doing. And so for me, I'm, I'm big on micro learning, and I'm big on storytelling. So I think no matter what technology you use, if you don't understand how to tell a story, no one cares. Um, it's just like when you go to the movie and you walk away and you're like, was there a, a plot thing, you know, that, that I missed that, that happened? And it's just, they didn't do a good job of actually telling the story and, or building the characters. And it doesn't have to be three hours. I've seen people do it in five minutes, right? So to me, the technology, ATD is great. Um, there's a lot of, of different books that, that I, I read. I, I think one of the ones I'm reading is uh, Experienced uh, Information Like Informed or Experienced Informed Learning Design. And so they go into, yet again, qualitative versus quantitative data and how do you back up the things you do. Um, but for me, it's, it's more about, can you tell a story? And so whether it's micro learning or you're using, um, you know, gamification, if, if there is no story, nobody cares, right. It doesn't, it doesn't have meaning. It doesn't connect. Yeah. And, and I'll tie back to something you said at the very start of the show, you said, um, you know, pe people add all this fancy crap, but they don't, they fail at the fundamentals, right? So, you know, L and D is this industry that's constantly chasing trends and there's a vendor out there to sell you any kind of solution. But if you can't get the basics down, all, all that expensive technology doesn't really matter. And, and I like that you'd focus on story too, because humans are suckers for stories. You mentioned movies that have bad stories, but I think we're all suckers for the, the hero's journey, which has been told millions of times before, but every time we see it done well, we still enjoy it. A hundred percent agree. I, I do like, I, I really think the story is the most important thing. And to your point, the fundamentals, you know, every team wants to do something world-class. Everyone wants to use something new, but if you don't even know how to like create meaningful learning objectives that are tied to the business, I don't care what tool you use yeah. because the training you build is going to suck. So it's, it, it is that right. It is that, What's the objective? What's the story? What's who's the antagonist protagonist as you go through it? Like you said, it's like those things that resonate, resonate with, with you. Um, and also understand why you're there. Oh, I'm here in this moment watching this movie because whatever, right. It makes me feel a certain way. Um, 
and learning should have that, right? Learning obviously has to, to generate some emotion to, to help, to help it stick. And I just, for me, the fundamentals hundred percent are the most important thing. And, and how you tell a story, if you just can't do that, you might as well just pack up your bags and, and go, uh, I don't know, go be a used car salesman or something. Yeah. You know, I think that's true for anyone who, who's trying to influence others in any scope of their life. Um, and I, I do believe people who are in the training or learning space are trying to influence people. You're trying to get workers to do something a little bit differently. So they perform better. Um, you've worked for some, some really large companies, multiple, and something that, that happens a lot in, uh, larger organizations is like red tape and bureaucracy. And sometimes that can hold the hands back of a training org. So what have you done to successfully address those kind of situations, break down silos and really start impacting performance? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that, um, in studies from ATD where like most companies, the reason they don't measure is because their company won't provide them you know, the tools to measure, the data to measure, all, yet again, the bureaucracy, the red tape, the money, the budget. I have just not found that to be the case. I found facts don't care about your, your feelings. And if so, if you can bring data to the table and yet again, tell a story to executives to why this data translates to buying buying the, this tool or or doing this chain, you know, this this change initiative or making this brand new leadership training, the resistance is minimal. And I don't care if they're a middle manager or an officer level, you know, executive that I've got buy-in from to, to do something. If you can show them the data and, and tell that story, it's easy. And I think for me, I've been successful at doing that at every point in my career is leveraging data and not just telling people how I feel. That's great. We all have feelings. We all have opinions. But there is a time and point that research and data actually matter. And are you, are you able to then take that and yet again, translate that to something meaningful that resonates with your audience? So for me, if I don't know what my SVP cares about, I might as well not even come with, you know, with the proposal or story in the first place, because I don't know what story to tell. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to resonate with them. And so that's where a lot of people in our space fail is they just don't do the work required because they think they know more um, than other people or, and, and they feel like an expert, which is fantastic. But the person you're presenting it to or trying to get buy-in from or getting budget from, they are not. They're not learning and developing. And maybe they feel like it, right? Because uh, they've taken training or been a part of training or maybe worked in training 30 years ago. Great. But you have to be able to bring that in and tell a meaningful story to, to the audience uh, you know, at that time. And your audience has changed, so your story is going to have to change and what you focus on is going to have to change as well. Yeah, that, that's so true. You, you, know, you mentioned that a lot of L&D people are, are interested in, in the things that they're interested in, you know, things like completion rates and I call yeah. them smiley sheets, you know, the thumbs up reports or whatever you want to call them. Um, most executives don't care about that. And, and you mentioned get, knowing what your senior vice president or director, whoever that leader is, what they care about. And it's that old marketing approach, right? It's um, getting, inserting yourself into what's, what's in their head rather than trying to like plant new ideas in their head. 
Um, and I think that that's a great way to do it. And you also mentioned, don't, don't let those restrictions hold you back. If there's not good reporting, go, go make it, um, learn some data analytics. I mean, you mentioned the change of the L and D role that, that maybe you do have to learn some things outside of just how to create a course in Camtasia or whatnot. So, so going down that road, you mentioned this, that L and D might be changing in the future. Well, what types of roles do you see coming into the L and D group that maybe didn't exist in this group in the past? I think figuring out how to, to meet people where they are um, with learning is something people talk about, but no one really knows how to do. And so for me, I think AI and how that integrates into the workplace and everyone gets so scared about automation because it thinks it's going to eliminate their job, but it actually could transform their career, right? So if you can learn how to do those things that allow, you know, AI to transform even what I'm consuming in the moment based on the decisions that, I, that I'm making, you're going to transform all the things that, that learning professionals struggle with, right? Which is curated learning paths, you know, ch- changing, um, you know, training as the business changes so fast, all of those things. I think AI, automation, machine learning are the future of learning and development. And whoever can begin to learn those skills and apply them, can save organizations crazy amounts of money, can allow for real-time, co- real-time coaching. There's some companies out there that are, that are already putting these products in market and they're using them with like your natural and, you know, linguistics, like the uh, translations uh, that can take those analytics from, from your speech and then regurgitate something back out to you from an AI, um, very similar to like a Google Voice. And that's just today, right? So if you flash forward five years, it's not just going to be like this voice. It's going to be uh, virtual people. It's going to be virtual situations that can be rendered real time. And I, I do think that's the future and it'll change training. Now, whether it takes 20 years there to get there or five years to get there, but I think people learning how to do those skills, how to apply those skills in a meaningful way so that they tell tell meaningful stories. Cause at the end of the day, it's to me, it's, it's all about storytelling. It doesn't matter how cool something is. If there's, if there's no story behind it, um, you'll just be another, you know, Tamagotchi pet or whatever, you know? Yeah. You know, I, it, it's so funny that the fears of AI and it just echoes back to the fears of other technology improvements in the past. I mean, there were people were scared of the car over a hundred years ago. Right. So yeah. It, it it is a tool and we already see ways that AI helps us just in, I mean, I, I love certain algorithms There's some, you know, social media sites. I don't like the algorithms, but there are some of those things where I, I'd rather have a curated feed than the old way. I'd rather have curated ads. I know people don't like targeted ads, but I'd rather have ads that I know I'm going to like versus generic billboards and TV commercials that I know I won't like. So, you know, I, I think people resisting this stuff, they're probably going to find themselves in a tough situation at that point in the future if they haven't diversified their skill set and they're still just delivering training or creating courses. Um, you also mentioned machine learning. Um, I, I want to shift this over to like more of a performance support area because some people in the learning space don't really go down this road if they're focused specifically on courses and training. Um, performance support is more on helping people outside of the classroom, helping them as they're doing their job. And I think those technologies can help with that, but, but we don't have to use those technologies. Um, what experience do you have with 
on the job support that that's more outside of a traditional learning or, or course format? Yeah, I think, I think any, when it comes to any support function, when you're really looking to change, um, performance, it's, it's about changing the culture. So like you might execute on X, Y, Z and do your boosted, you know, boosted learnings and leadership coachings and one-on-ones or maybe have executive messaging or, or whatever, but do even have the right culture in place to, to drive, you know, to drive that change in performance. And, and for me, that's, that's why development and performance have to be so closely mirrored together. Um, and what I see, what I see work is when you focus on the human side of digitize, like when you're digitizing things that are supposed to, to drive, um, change and have meaningful follow-up. So I tell you something's important and we launch it because it's supposed to improve your performance. And I'm going to hold you accountable to that performance, but then it's like dust in a wind, right? We don't ever talk about it again. So I think really what I've seen work is when you have buy-in organizationally that you're going to shift the culture around those performance metrics or around those performance behaviors and continue to meet and continue to drive and beat the drum for the next two years uh, or, or whatever it is. And everything around your core values and things are, are tied into those performance metrics and KPIs, your meetings, your trainings, your, and people might be like, oh, we're talking about this again. But if you don't make it like apparent that it's important, then people aren't going to believe that it's important and they're not going to, to then take it seriously. So I just think really having that reinforced, you know, that reinforcement and it can be done in many different ways, but I think it has to be tied to your greater mission, your greater why, um, and where you're going. Right. So it's one thing to just increase sales by, by whatever, but why are we doing that? Right. Is it for shit? Is it for shareholders? Do the people in your organization even know why shareholders are important? <laughs> do they do they understand how the stock market works for a public publicly traded company? Are you a private company that's backed by private equity that they need to understand? Yes, I'm working here, and investors are investing money so that we can get better performance to get bought by a public company or go public um, and begin trading and have more money to invest back into the business. So I think just communicating that why and reinforcing those things is what I found most successful. The problem is most companies don't do it because all they're focused on is that, that piece I was talking about earlier, which is faster. Let's do it fast, launch it fast. These are our KPIs. Your salespeople go, you know, go slay the dragons and, and drag the meat back home, which is great. And then no one else in the organization can actually execute on the things that they're selling um, because there's no reinforcement. And then by the time you do, you got to change everything again because the market's changed. And then you get into this change fatigue cycle organizationally. So I just think it's really faster alone, but further, further together. Organizations focus on what does it look like for the entire culture of the company to rally behind these performance metrics, rally behind these performance behaviors. And what does that look like? You don't need to do fancy technology or anything like that. Um, it'll change, but 
but you have to, you have to take the time and you have to invest, invest in it and understand it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, absolutely. You know, culture, mission, vision, those kind of things are important when they're, when they're real, not just some words on a wall or words on your intranet site. Um, the companies that, that have a good job of reinforcing that. And one that just comes to mind is Lego, you know, they repeat that stuff all the time. So you mentioned that sometimes people get fatigue of hearing that message all the time, but the companies that do the best with culture and, and having a consistent vision or mission are the ones that, that are reinforcing it. Um, and I know you've probably worked for companies like I have where, you know, you get that when you onboard with the company and maybe leadership might mention it once a quarter at the quarterly reviews. But other than that, you don't really feel like leaders are living it. And so I, I like that you are, are pushing that, that uh, actually reinforcing and living that culture. Um, you've worked with a lot of senior leaders at the business and some L&D teams run the risk of just being order takers and course production factories. What have you done to prevent that and to produce solutions that actually drive performance and aren't just one-off courses? Say no. Um, you know, a lot of people are afraid to say no because someone has some title. Titles are, are meaningless. And yes, can a person with a higher title fire you or something at, at some point? Sure. But just because they have a senior director title or a SVP title, or it doesn't mean they know anything. <laughs> so uh, they might want something, but it doesn't mean they, they know anything. So um, I think you just have to be comfortable with saying no. I've, I've found that to be the most successful thing to um, really recalibrating on doing the most important things and doing them well is saying no to all the stuff that it might be easy stuff, but if you want to change the culture, like we were just talking about, the easy stuff doesn't change the culture. It's, it's the tough stuff. And most people are afraid to do the tough stuff. And they're afraid to say no to the easy stuff to then focus on the tough stuff that's truly transformative to an organization, that's truly transformative to, to you know, someone's career. So like for me, it's been saying no to those things and then saying, let's go talk to the people that actually do these jobs versus letting someone that's letting outdated people with outdated products make outdated decisions, right? So you have a, yeah. a lot of that ends up happening where people got an MBA, come into the work. They've never been a frontline worker of any kind, and they're making decisions for frontline people. And for me, I'd rather say no to the things, make sure we have the, the data from the frontline, from, from the people that are actually doing these jobs. And then you go build a program that they actually want and need and are bought into and feel listened to. And shockingly enough, when people feel listened to, uh, like you start to build momentum and it compounds because then they start sharing more things and uh, they're not afraid to address that, that elephant in the room. And so for me, that allowed me to create space to develop leadership programs, career pathway programs at Walmart that um, one of the last ones we did was for learn, our learning professionals specifically called Learning Legends. And, you know, 40% of the people that went through that program were promoted in the first, you know, in the first year to, to other roles. And wow. it wasn't just, wasn't just focused on uh, being just a learning professional. It was just focused on, you know, 
how to just grow your career in general in learning, right? You can go down all these pathways to these different jobs. Yes, the one you're doing now is maybe an instructional designer or a learning experience designer or whatever fad name someone wants to call it, but you're creating content. What other things can we do to well-round you to be that business partner that you're talking about and have extreme ownership and not be afraid to say no and go tackle the real tough stuff that, that creates impact and influence and furthers your career. That's awesome. And, and I think what you mentioned there sounds like it's the difference between the top-down approach that more of a traditional learning team would have C-suite or executives dictating the direction. And you talk about a bottom-up up approach by talking to the people you're trying to appeal to. And that just really reminds me, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Nick Shackleton Jones's book, How People Learn, but what, one of the things he talks about is people are going to learn more when they're learning something they want to learn. Um, versus something they're dictated to learn. And, and by doing that collection, uh, their analysis, whatever you want to call it, but you're, you're talking to people to find out what their gaps are and you're solving their actual problems instead of like forcing them to go through some sort of compliance training that they have to do and they have to do it a certain way. 100%. Um, one more thing on that. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, trying to see those results long-term and, and some training teams tend to provide single event type training. Like it's a course, it's a training that management comes to whatnot. What are the top things you've done to ensure continued performance long after the, the training itself has been completed? Yeah. So it goes back to like telling, telling the story, right? So what, what does it look like when it's working? If we say we want to change said behavior and said behaviors lead to said performance. What is that vision for the organization? And then what are all the, the things required um, to get there? So for me, if you're a trilogy person, imagine if the Star Wars just ended with the first movie and there was nothing else, right? So like you might be lost uh, or wondering what does this mean, right? If there was no other movies or other story to, to be told, um, it might not even be as popular, you know, as it is, I'm, I'm sure it still, still would be. But the fact is like that I view learning as you have the story you're telling at that time. And then what's the broader, you know, story you need to tell um, throughout the next year, two years, and where those key plot points um, throughout that learning that you can reinforce it. Are they videos? Are they one-on-one -on -one meetings? Are they webinars to re you know, reinforce change? But the, the key thing is, are the right people in at the right time looking at what do people need so that those behaviors can change to drive performance? So when you get up front, this is something I was actually talking to some of my peers with recently, like, we need to make better decisions early on, not based on our feelings, what we feel that our organization needs, but actually what they're telling us and quant like truly quantifying that with follow-up because just because they said it in an anonymous survey doesn't mean we have all of the things we need to glean and then build the path that gets us to what it looks like when it's lurking, right? So yes, there's a training and yes, there's support documents, but how, how do you know it's adopted? How do you know the culture to which you say you want to drive that come from this learning event has actually changed and what other things need to occur to do that? So for me, it's the broader story, the broader plot points and really planning out, forget short-term thinking, 
planning out your long-term plan and, and actually having one, right. And, and holding yourself, the organization accountable to those things getting done because we said they're going to get done. And once people see the value in that, um, four things that have impact and influence yet again, it's not like some, um, thing that's just nice to have. It's like, we need to have this or our com- our company is not going to be a company anymore. And I think when you can drive the, that messaging home, it makes a difference, but that's what I found to work is really looking beyond launching this thing, right? Put building the circus tent is what I always tell people, you know, training is viewed as like the circus comes to town. They pop the tent up, we do some tricks, close the tent. You never see us again, right? We never talk about that, that thing again. Um, it really needs to be looked at different differently. And how do you make it something that's, that's a mainstay and they can explore beyond, you know, one show, one night, uh, one night only. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know some of the most impactful projects I've worked on have, have either been because there was a follow-up coaching process after the training, or there was like a support group that was run through Slack that people could use in the job, you know, something that's really not a traditional training solution, but that was the thing that gave the long-term impact more than just that, that course that was produced. Um, I know we talked a lot about storytelling, but I want to see, you know, in your experience, are there any other non-traditional L&D skill sets that you think people in the learning space need to be more consistent at developing? I mean, I think just understanding how an organization works is where I've found a lot of L&D professionals struggle. Like they don't understand budgeting. They don't understand um, how, you know, different executive roles and what they actually do versus what they think they do. Um, they might not understand, um, how far some of that stuff's planned out. They might not understand what things actually caught, like what they actually cost, like, um, so that they can measure more effectively and what parts of the business bring the most value versus don't bring any value. Um, what's corporate learning, you know, versus, uh, maybe more functional skills-based learning. So I think a lot of them just in my experience, working at quite a few different companies, three large um, companies now in learning and development, but I've worked at FedEx, I've worked at Comcast, I've worked at DirecTV, um, I've worked at Verizon, uh, Walmart, and now uh, Fortive. I just think most people don't know how the world works and mm-hmm. they don't the things they need to know to, to understand it. And it's really hard to it's great that they have an organizational development degree or a human resources degree or whatever their degree is. Most of those degrees are already 10 years behind where we are today in real life. And so I think if they can just pay attention to what's really happening in the market, what's, what's really driving business, what's, what tools are really being used um, because those books take so long to write and, and, and come to press or become digital they'll serve themselves a lot better and they'll have a lot more respect because you'll speak like someone that isn't an order taker. You'll speak like someone that isn't just a learning professional. You'll speak like someone that can make a difference in the business. 
because you know what what that looks like, right? You've you've heard it, you've listened to leaders, you've paid attention to how how the stock market works and and what does what's on the corporate page, right? What are we doing in sustainability? What are our actual goals? Um, what does that actually mean? I just think that's where a lot of learning professionals fail. And they're they're so worried on making something look good. But yet again, like painting the house doesn't make the inside of the house any better. Like that's great that you painted the outside of the house and it looks great, but your house is still not energy efficient. The furniture is still crap. The foundation is crumbling. So for, for me, those are your cultural things. And everyone folks focuses on being creative and making things pretty. But what we need to figure out is how do those things translate into transforming culture? Because that's, that's what transforms behavior, which then transforms performance. And that's where you're going to get the most impact and influence as a learning professional. And that's just where I see a lot of them struggle. That's great stuff, Josh. Um, so it's think, think big picture outside your role, understand where everything is. And, and that last piece you mentioned there is great of, you know, functional is over pretty every time. And, and too many, especially like instructional designers are so worried about how this e-learning is going to look. And man, I've built some very low tech trainings that have had a lot of impact and yeah. functional is over pretty every time. Um, well, Josh, our, our time's running short. I, I think that was a great place to end it. But I do have one question I ask every guest is just what's one thing, whether it be personal or professional, that you've learned lately that's benefited your life? Yeah, so uh, I'm reading this book called uh, Clean Up Your Mental Mess by uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And really, it just talks about how you and your thoughts uh, impact really who you are, right? How you handle stress, anxiety, trauma, and how you can train, yet again, train your brain to deal with those things. And so for me, like just learning the different skills early on in that book and how to confront yourself and truly like self-reflect on who you are, why you are, the way you are, I think has really just continued to help me grow as a leader. It allows me to know why am I showing up in this meet? Why am I being resisted to something right now? Or why am I not being a good listener in this moment? Um, because you're not being a good listener because you're getting stressed and anxious because of something that happened the last time this type of meeting or thing happened, but you're just not paying attention to it. So for me, it's just really learning on, on how to be, um, in control of my, my thoughts and my thought patterns and understand when they're going, um, off the rails and, you know, just being mindful. So really good book so far. And I just think for me, my thoughts are who I am and I take me everywhere I go. So I just really focus, focus on that. I, I can't control other people. I can't control other people's thoughts. I can control mine. I can be an intent listener and uh, someone that self-reflects and, and grows. And I think that's been the most beneficial thing to me over the last four or five years of my career, which I would say my career has grown exponentially um, because I've focused on developing myself and using that to develop others versus, you know, expecting everyone else to do something for me. 
That's awesome. I love introspective stuff. So I'm adding that book to my way too long to be read list. Um, but, but thank you for sharing that. Uh, before we go though, um, if anyone's interested in connecting with you, where's the best place to do that? Uh, the only social media I have is, is LinkedIn. So if you are wanting to follow me, I post stuff on leadership and ways you can maybe be self-reflective to yourself. Typically it's something that I'm pondering on when I'm running. So connect with me on LinkedIn. Probably don't DM me. I get thousands of DMs from salespeople and financial advisors. So just, you know, uh, follow me and comment on one of my posts or something. And I'd be happy to, to get in touch with you that way. If you, if you ever want to talk or need advice. Awesome. Well, Josh, I'll also put the link to your LinkedIn on, on the show notes. So if anyone wants to connect, they can, they can get it there. Just don't DM and also don't DM me cold sales stuff. Cause I ignore those too. Um, but Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we've known each other for a long time and it was great catching up with you. Have a great rest of your day. I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon and everybody at home. We'll see you next time.